Hey, last week we talked about Babylon. Do anybody remember that? What do we say Babylon was good at? Oh my gosh, this is a test. More for me than you. Do you not remember? Thank you. Who said that? You can raise your hand. All the way in the back. Right on. Yeah, we said Babylon was good at discipleship. You know why? Because they learned that if they're going to conquer these people groups, they need to press them into their Babylonian mold so that they could become them, so that they would be part of their empire. That's the whole goal. And they're not the only empire to do that. They were just really, really good at it. Do you remember how they did it? Remember the things I said? What was the first one? It was started with an I. Intentional. I heard somebody say it. All right. It's like you guys, you're afraid to talk in church? You, t- you talk in church, I see you talking. I'm just saying, say it to me. Okay, they were intentional. What else were they? Immersive, right? They immersed them, right? And then there was a third thing we said. It was like a double negative almost. They were not what? They were not neutral. There was, they had a thing they wanted to do, and they were clear about it. They were not neutral. They had a point of view. Now, we live in a world today where it's almost like if you have an opinion, it's okay to have an opinion, but you can't think you're right. You can say, well, that's true for me, but not, maybe not for you. The f- problem with that is, is that most things in life are either true or not. <clears throat> like, what was that? <clears throat> right? I mean, you could either hear me or not. Right. The, the thing is, we don't have the luxury of just kind of figuring that out. Now, just like Babylon was good at discipling, you, you know who else is good at discipling? Our current culture is. So what if, I, what if I told you that our world system is also discipling us? Now, I know I went into a little bit of detail about that last week, and What's interesting about it, I didn't know exactly what, how Raymond was going to talk about his experience being in Iran, but did you hear what he was saying about living here in the contrast? Did you catch that? Did, did any of you like me think, wow, I do not appreciate what we have here enough? I mean, I do, but then you hear someone like that talk about it, and I realize that I don't enough. But I did have an interesting experience years ago that I want to compare to because I know how this works. Because I just said our culture is good at discipling. And I know for some of us it's difficult to see it. And we don't really want to. You know how somebody says, hey, do you know anybody who's done this or that? And it's easy to talk about other people, right? How their shortcomings, right? I mean, you know how it is. I mean, you don't want to say, I have this problem. I know a lot of people who have it, right? Yeah, You know, right? Like maybe the people next to you, Right? That's always easier than looking inside and saying, no, it's me. It's kind of like that old say, they're saying, we have seen the enemy and he is me. There's a, there was an old thing in Britain years ago, a long time ago. Um, there's a writer named G.K. Chesterton. He was really famous at the time. But uh, a pap- the paper in Britain said, what is wrong with humanity? And they had this write-in contest. And he wrote in two letters. Me. I'm the problem. I know we don't want to look at it that way. So let's look at somebody else. That's safer, right? Can we do this for a second? In 1992, which I know for some of you is ancient history. Were any of you even born then? You weren't even born then, right? Dang. Well, anyway, in 1992, I took my high school students to uh, Russia on a mission trip. We had this really cool thing. They had compiled, they had condensed 
and kind of made it one story, the, the gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John made it one story. So we had this Bible book, and then we were able to go into all these schools. And we went into Siberia, the middle of Russia. We started in Moscow, then we flew hours and hours and hours, and we were right in the middle of, of, uh, of Russia. And it was this town of two and a half million people. Town, did I say town? City, metropolis of two and a half million people. We flew in there. It was, it was fascinating. So that's 1992. Do you remember what happened in 1989, anyone? The Berlin Wall fell. Things were falling. Things were changing. There was huge international change. And I don't know about you, but I grew up, when I was a kid growing up, you guys, no concept of this, but we actually had nuclear war drills. Does anybody remember that? You'd have to duck under your chair or desk or whatever, like, that's going to do any good. Like, here we are, ducking, like, eh, it's just going to go right over. It's going to go right to there. All the fallout's going to stop right there, right? But anyway, we did that. And I know for me, coming of age, you know, I, I graduated from high school, I shouldn't tell you, in 1980. Uh, Reagan became president. Margaret Thatcher was a prime minister. Gorbachev was leader in USSR. Do you, does anybody remember these days? Remember how we learned about how oppressive their, their world was? Yeah. Well, in 92, when I went there, I, I didn't even know to expect what we experienced. It was, it was an unusual thing. I mean, there, it was... So we're walking around, we're Americans, and that was the draw. I had American high school kids, so we did these crusades at night, and there would be thousands of people come because they wanted to see these American kids sing. They were good. They weren't that good, I'm just saying. <laughs> Right? It wasn't about that. It was the fact that we were American high school kids coming to the middle of Russia, and it was huge crowds. After one night, after <laughs> we were walking back to the hotel one night, and uh, our interpreter that was with my group, she said, hey, can you do me a favor? And I said, sure. And she goes, can you stop pointing at things? I'm like, what? She goes, I, I know you have a lot of questions. She goes, way more than anybody I've ever worked with. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I'm a curious guy, and this is fascinating. And she's like, she goes, yeah, but every single thing you point at, I have to report on later. I'm like, wait, what? She goes, yeah, you think the KGB's gone? It is not gone. They just changed their name, and I have to report. Every time you point, there's people watching, and I have to, I have to tell them what you pointed at and why you asked and what you ask about. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, because I want to know everything about everything. And uh, it was a real shocker, eye-opener. It hadn't changed. Everything was controlled. At one point, I, I know, it's, yeah, anyway, I'll just, so at one point, because I had students from, we lived in Los Angeles, very multi, I mean, we are very multiracial, people, different sizes, shapes, everything. And we were in a market in Moscow, it was really crowded. And I'm looking around, like, our kids kind of blend in here a little bit, and I said, I turned to her and I go, hey, do you think anybody, anybody here maybe mistakes us for Russian? She's like, please. <laughs> I go, why? What do you mean? I go, we look, we blend in. She goes, it's not that. She goes, it's not the looks. Because they have a lot of multiracial people there too. But she said, it's not that. Here's what she said. She goes, you're Americans. Everybody knows. Everybody knows for miles that you are here. I'm like, what? She goes, first of all, you are loud. I'm like, what? So kind of like what he said a minute ago about them talking quiet. She goes, she goes look around. No Russian talks out loud like you. You just talk like you don't have a care in the world. And here's what she said. Because you don't. You're Americans. You have freedom. Oh, man, choke me up. She said this. She goes, you smile all the time. 
She goes, you realize, right? Do you not notice? We only smile inside rooms, inside where it's safe. We don't smile in public like this. You're, you're happy all the time. You have no cares because you're Americans. <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea. That was the first time, really, that I realized the political side of all that. And we live in a culture today where things are changing here all the time. And there, there was a guy who wrote a book. Um, his name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's a Soviet dissident. He, he, was, he was imprisoned and then escaped. And Sharonensky, there's a few of them but, that I was familiar with at that time. But I remember I read a book called uh, Live No Lies. And what he talked about is when they were in that culture and under that control, that they were told to repeat lies that they all knew was not true. I've heard this said that nobody there watched the news because they knew none of it was true. <laughs> is that funny? Isn't that funny? Because now, after what we've gone through in the last few years, it's like, is that true? I'm not sure anymore. Right? right. It's weird how, how our culture is starting to change in a way where we're being forced into thinking these things or saying things that, you know, maybe aren't real, right? But we have to act like it's real to get along. It's kind of uncomfortable sometimes. And I, look, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but do you, do you know how many genders Facebook recognizes now? It's over 50. I checked because I was curious. I didn't know, right? This came out just two weeks ago, which it's the New York Post on the 23rd of January this year, said in Italy, I want you to follow my, what I'm reading here very carefully. Trans man who had a mastectomy discovered to be five months pregnant and it made him a rare seahorse dad, they're calling him. What? Oh, wait, what? Do you ever wonder if there's a time in the U.S. where we'll be forced to say certain things or not allowed to say other things? Have you wondered that? I don't know. I mean, freedom of speech is in the First Amendment, right? And freedom of religion. But do you think there could be a time where Christian morals would be illegal in our country? I don't know. I, I used to wonder how the tribulation could happen. Anybody else with me on that? I used to wonder, how in the world, how in the world are you going to convince people to get a mark on your hand and your forehead to do all of your business and banking. Remember that? I wondered, how could you ever convince everybody to do that? Then 2020 happened, and <laughs> I know now. Now I see it. I, I see it. And what's weird is things like that are happening in different countries around the world, and maybe to some degree here, but we don't... It's, it's funny because that stuff kind of creeps in, and you, you, you're not sure when to stop and say, wait, 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 that's too far. We're, we've gone too far. So think about this for a second. I don't know if any of you have seen, I'm not necessarily recommending, but there was a TV show called Black Mirror. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It was a UK show. On one of the episodes, they had this deal where, now I know you guys have some, most of you have social media, right? And you make a post and then you see how many people have liked it, right? And sometimes you do that and you think, man, I thought more people would like that. Anybody, anybody there? Or do people like me or not? Or you, you post a picture and you think, oh, that's really cool. And then like one or two people liked it. And you think, what's wrong with me? Right? Well, on the show, you, you actually lived and died by how many people liked what you put online. Creepy, huh? Do you know that's actually happening in parts of the world? 
in China, I put a link in your notes. If you're using the version notes, you'll see this link. But the social credit system in China ranks citizens and punishes them <clears throat> by things they do or don't do. And the way they punish them is things like throttling down their internet speed. You know how painful that is, right? <laughs> or um, not allowing them to fly or travel. So if they drive badly or have too many, buy too many video games or actually do real crimes, I mean, that happens too. All of that's happening. It's, it's bizarre. But we do have that kind of in our culture, don't, don't we kind of though? With cancel culture and people who say we can't be friends or you're, you're evil because you think a certain way. and It's almost like life has changed and, and it's happening all around us all the time. You, you may not realize this, but even some of your choices now are being monitored by the banks and by, by social media itself. I searched this. I was trying to find it. I found stories about it in 2019, but I couldn't find it actually on Facebook today. But there was a time where you could go into your Facebook and find out what political party they thought you were based on things you've liked or not liked. Or Do you, do you feel like they're watching us like that? I don't know. It's interesting because there's all this stuff out there and you start to wonder. You know what's happened is really our, our, our country has changed a lot in the recent times. Yes. And some of these changes, I've, I've talked to you before about the fact that they cycle through history. This is not the first time in history where people have tried to say that there, there are not absolute rights and wrongs. There, that actually happened 500 BC and, and uh, Socrates was battling that and Plato was battling that. But we're in that kind of a series again where people are questioning whether anything could be true for all cultures at all times and all people. There's actually, we're in this world today where people don't always trust necessarily scientific methods or even math because for some people that could be offensive. I know some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Yeah, I know, I know. But it's worse than that because for some people, truth isn't even the goal anymore. It comes down to what I feel and my preferences. And even though they know something may not be true, if I feel a certain way, not only, not only is that true for me, but they're going to force it to be true for you. So my question is, what do we do about that kind of thing? Our culture is really just, it's crazy. We're, we're almost in a post, uh, almost a post-privacy culture. Have you noticed that? You know, Missouri's recently gone hands-free with our phones in the car, which is good, right? So I, when we went on a trip recently, I had to activate my, my Google thing. Do you guys do that? Do you have a Dot or an Echo or the Amazon? What's the Amazon one? Alexa, I knew you'd know. Or Siri, right? So has this happened to any of you? You might say, you know, hey, Google, what's the weather today? There will be showers with a high of 50 and a low of 32. Currently, it's 39 with light showers. So I started to wonder, I mean, and you probably wondered this too, is she she listening all the time? Right? So, hey, Google, are you listening to me all the time? I'm designed to wait in standby until I detect an activation, like when I hear, hey, Google. The status indicator on your device lets you know when I'm activated. And we trust her, right? (laughs) Right? Because... I know that probably like you, there's times where I've maybe Googled something and then all of a sudden I get ads popping up in Facebook and Instagram both and I'm like, wait a minute, how did that happen? How did they know I was looking for that? (laughs) 
That's not really what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is those things are important, and I get it. But this, to me, is more scary than even that. What I really want to talk about is this, that in uh, November, the World Health Organization came out with a study. And in this study, they said that loneliness is the number one problem that people are complaining about. They're self-reporting. Loneliness. Let me just give you these statistics because they're kind of mind-blowing. The, the age group 18 to 24, 59% say that they are lonely at least once a day. Once a day. I don't know if I knew what that what meant at that age. 25 to 34, 54%. So that's still over half. 35 to 44, still 49, 47%. 45 to 54, 39%. Those are huge percentages. Here, here's the thing that worries me the most. We, we have tools today to be the most connected we could ever be. But just like anything, the t- it's just a tool, right? And the way we use it has actually turned against us. And now it becomes something that disconnects us more than ever in history. And article, article after article I read just talked about how we are the least connected generation in all of history. Where we used to play in the neighborhoods. You remember that? And you knew everybody? And even kids who weren't your age, you still played with them. It's just, you, you joined them in the game. You just made it fit their age or their abilities. And we all play together. We don't do that anymore. That doesn't happen hardly ever anymore. Remember, remember games like, you guys know what tag is, right? <laughs> Kick the can and all that. and Baseball and football and hide and seek. We did that all, these, I mean, all the time. But now, a lot of people, not, not you, other people are kind of stuck in their homes, just kind of binge watching things, and they're just going to Netflix and chill, and they're not really out. And what's really sad is, I don't know if you've noticed this, but most people are on a device in their home when they're watching the same movie, even. It's, it's a weird sense. Um, the thing that worries me about it most is this, that, you know, there, I don't know where culture will go from here. You know, elections matter, all that matters, and I want you to be involved and engaged. But before any of that, I'm not trying to be apocalyptic today. What I wanted to do is just point out the fact that we are disconnected. And our, our world is trying to disciple us into something that you may not be wanting to do, right? They're not trying to make you better Christians. They're trying to separate you. They're trying to divide you. And they're trying to teach you a worldview that is anti-God and anti-Christian. That's just the facts. It's not a political thing. It's just the way it is. The fact is, in our world that say feelings matter more than anything else, happiness is the ultimate goal, uh, no absolute truths, division of groups, no unity, a very graceless morality, no forgiveness, no redemption, that's not the Christ life. The Christ life is something that should be happening with all of us. It should be about actually you making connections with other Christians and learning more and more about your faith. And the way to do that, I believe there's some things that I want to call you to that are different than the way the world is trying to disciple you. So let me give you some of them really quick. The first one is this. I feel like you need to treasure your history, your, your history with God, your history and your experience with him. In Deuteronomy, uh, Moses writes this, and this is before they're going to go into the promised land. So this is, this is for the Jews at the time, but it applies to us. He says this. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. 
And I don't think he meant to take portions of scripture and tie them on your hands. No, devout Jews do that. They call it a phylactery. They actually do that. That's, I think it's more, more about having it in you. He says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth and your, that your children flourish in the land, the Lord swore to give to you and your ancestors. Now, like I mentioned, the Jews do that with the writing. They also do it, they actually put scripture portions, I think we have a picture of it, inside a little case and then post it on the doorpost. Beautiful thing. It's cool, but it's more than that. It's not necessarily supposed to be just some physical thing that you do. You're supposed to actually have it in you, literally in you. So how does that happen? That's just a picture of a door, and you can see that little, little thing on the doorpost. And as they walk in, they'll, they'll usually kiss it and kiss their hand. Not kiss it, I mean touch their hand to it and kiss it. Why? Because it matters. You know how we're supposed to do that? You guys, we're supposed to be memorizing scripture. Now look, I know for you, you're probably thinking, wait a minute. I've memorized scripture, and I know you have. I bet you if I ask you, like all of us together, I bet we could quote John 3.16. You want to try? Ready? For God so loved the world. See? Okay. Good. How about Romans 3.23? For all have... All right. And then Romans 6.23, I love that because it has the bad news and good news in the same verse. For the gift of God, or no, no, the wages of is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. You guys are getting this. I, I love it. But let me ask you a pointed question. When was the last time you tried to memorize anything? We don't need to anymore, right? I could just ask her. I could ask her literally what this verse is and she would tell me. But it's not in here, and it's not in here. And when you have it for yourself, and Psalm 119.11 says, I treasure your word in my heart so that it might not sin against you. I'm, I'm actually challenging you to do some things today that, are, that would shape you and our culture in ways that you couldn't even imagine. One of them is that scripture memorization. I can't imagine living in a country like Iran where it's illegal to do that. Illegal to have that. And yet, I don't know, I'm not prophesying this, but... Imagine if we had no longer access to our electronics. Can you imagine the world? How many, how many phone numbers do you have memorized? How, three. <laughs> she knows exactly. Three or four. How many, how many verses do you have memorized? I mean, now I know like most of us, we've got plenty of paper Bibles at home, but we don't have them right there. Most of my Bible reading, and I can be honest with you, I do actually more Bible reading now than I've probably ever done in my entire life but for me, it's almost 100% electronic. Not 100%, but almost. But I have more in the word than ever, but that's not guaranteed forever. I'm just saying, for all of us, it's been a, probably a long time where we've actually memorized something. I want to encourage you to make that a practice. There's a lady in our church, and I would never embarrass her, ever. But I found out a few years ago, she walks and memorizes scripture. Can I, can I tell you this? She's not... <laughs> I don't know how to say this the right way. When we're this age, it's easy to memorize, right? Am I right? The older you get, it's harder. She's not this age. I'm just saying that. She's memorized the book of Philippians, the whole book. She's memorized the entire book of James. That's five chapters. 
She's working on Ephesians. She's already up to chapter five. There's six chapters in Ephesians. She's memorized the whole thing. I know there's somebody else in this church who's memorized the entire book of Proverbs. And they did it by reading a chapter a day and then working on that. There's 31 chapters. And they memorized the entire book of Proverbs. And I asked them one time, how in the world did you do that? And so they said, well, I, I commute to work and I just had it playing every time and I would just keep repeating it over and over and over. Isn't that amazing? But when's the last time we intentionally tried to do that? I get it. Let me mention this. Uh, you remember the one another's we talk about? I mentioned it to you before. There's a hundred of the one another's. Those are things that you find in scripture. And part of it about one anothering is you have to be around one another to one another. And uh, what's beautiful about the one another's, about a third of them are about unity, about a third are about loving. The rest are about um, not judging and, and greeting each other and carrying each other's burdens. That Hebrews 10 passage, I love it. It says, let us think about ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Motivate. And then let us not neglect our meeting together. Some people do. But encourage one another, especially now, uh, with the day of, the day of his return and, uh, returning is near. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another and build each other up. I, I really believe this as Christians, that I, I'm not saying the end of the world is near. I'm not, not, it, it might be, but I'm not saying that. But what if, what if, what if we lost all the electronics? What if as churches it was illegal to meet? What if, what if, what if we were living here the life that you guys have experienced in Iran? Because as you were saying a minute ago, we have it so good. What if we didn't? What would you do? I'm just curious about that. If, what would you do if you had not already built relationships and prayed for one another? And what if you weren't already meeting each other's needs? Now this church is, is beautiful. And we've got people with needs, and I love what's happening right now. Uh, Jane's in the hospital. She's, she had a stroke, and so many of you have visited her. Thank you. So many of you have given George rights. Thank you. Bev Taylor had surgery on her ankle this week. She'll get home in a little bit, going to be on a walker, couldn't get up the steps to her place. Some guys built a ramp yesterday. Beautiful. Shirley Burns, a lot of you have been visiting her. Wonderful. Charlie Julian, and John Eppernauer would not want me saying this, but he gives him a ride a lot to church. Greg Smith, Dan Yates, they've given rides. It's, it's amazing. When it snowed really bad a couple weeks ago, Josh Harris got some of the youth, and they went and shoveled some of the prime timers and widows' driveways. Isn't that beautiful? We've got ladies who are pregnant or just had babies. There's, oh, one of them was right over there a minute ago, but they they walked out. But that was Tom and Cassie, and I saw Eli and Megan here. I haven't seen them up close. I know they're here. And Paul and Rebecca had twins, and people are helping them with meals and doing things for them. How would you know, though, if you don't know anybody to do that for? So I know a lot of you are asking, why are we doing the name tags today? Here's why. I'm going to ask you to do something, and this is not to make it awkward. But before you look around, how many of you would know the name of the person down the roll from you right now? No, don't look. I, I get it. I get it. We come to church. We celebrate Christ together. We do that. But I know how it is where you don't always know the names, right? But can we get, can I make it even more deeper? Do you know what they need? Do you have any idea? Do you know what they're going through? Would you know what to pray for them? If, let's say we couldn't connect, would you know how to connect with them? I, I get it. You're like, well, I don't even know these people. They're brand new. I don't know. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm not trying to make it that way. I'm just saying, 
as a church, I believe God's calling us to be more connected than that. More, more than we have been. And some of you know a lot of people, and I know there's people in here who know everybody's name probably, but that's not the point. My point is today, I want you to get to know even more people. So people ask me over and over, and I get it, what's the name tag's about today? And here's, here's my only thing with that today. As you leave today, would you just make the extra effort to just say hi to a few people and say it by name? And I learned this today. Two people came up and told me the same thing I'd never heard in my whole life. Isn't it funny when you learn something and you're old? Right? I can't tell you how many name tags in my whole life I put on my, my chest. And they said you're supposed to do name tags on the right, on this side that line up with your right hand because when you shake hands, you automatically look to that side. Never heard that before. Makes so sense. Don't change them. I know you're all wrong because I had it wrong too. I get it. Here's what I'm challenging you to do today. I'm challenging you to do this today. To make, remember we talked about discipleship? To intentionally change your life and the way you connect with people. We need each other. Maybe you don't need anybody today, but there may be a time where you do. And something like somebody visiting you in the hospital is life-giving. There's nothing like it. Maybe for you, it's something that um, you've spent your time doing things that are important, but you realize, I need to make more of a connection. I need to intentionally, instead of, instead of spending time just flipping through pictures on Pinterest, I'm going to actually memorize scripture. I mean, we have the time. We just use it differently. I get it. Maybe for you, it's going to be something that um, you're going to learn somebody's name, memorize your kids' phone numbers. That's my goal this week, by the way. And... Uh, <laughs> My, my desire for you is to connect with somebody today that you've never met before. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna pray with you for a second. And um, I know I've said a lot of things. We've been kind of all over the place. But my goal for you today is as a believer in Christ to make a connection with some people that you've never connected with before. And maybe for you it's, it's difficult. Maybe you're busy on Wednesday nights. I get it. We've got other things going on. But you are here today and most of you have a name tag. I know some of you don't, and you're like, oh, what am I supposed to do? You can get one. There's some of them right outside. And I know not everybody's the outgoing type. I get it. I actually had more than one, probably five people say, because the way I did it today, I said, would you do me a favor and wear a name tag? It's hard to refuse that, right? Pastor comes up and asks you to do it that way. I know I did it on purpose that way. I had at least five people say, I hate this. They didn't say it this way. Okay, they didn't say it this way. They said, I normally wouldn't do this, but I'll do it because you asked me to. I get it. So don't, I get that. I understand. But what I'm asking is for some people to talk to some people who haven't met each other today. That's it. Simple as that. Can I pray for you? Pray for us? Okay. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus for you to do something in us that is what you planned from the beginning, for you to create community in our hearts and minds that go beyond a casual relationship that we'd actually know each other, know needs, pray for each other, that God, in the name of Jesus, you would connect us like you always intended for your bride of Christ to be united in a way that nothing would shake, whether it's a change in a government or change in our freedoms or any of that, nothing would shake the connection we have with you and each other. In Jesus' name, I'm praying that. Amen. Amen. Pastor Nick. Wasn't that a good word this morning? How many of you got something out of that? 
I've enjoyed this discipleship series that Pastor Dennis has been in. And if you've been here for several weeks and you've been paying attention, he's been leading us through a process of how we can grow closer to the Lord. And then he's moving us to this concept of growing closer with one another. And I think it's so valuable for us to remember that. And it's so important. So this morning, it's 1124. We've got plenty of time. You don't have to rush out of here. We're going to dismiss here in just a second. But I do want to encourage you to stick around. You've got name tags. It takes the pressure off of getting to know somebody um, just a little bit. But stick around. Get to know some some people and, and let's build some relationships together this morning. Um, on your way out the door today, uh, we, we've mentioned a couple of times today that we have a code for you to fill out. The I'm New Here code. Um, if you are with us this morning for the first time or maybe the first time, uh, one of the first times and you have not filled out this code. We just want to know that you're here. We would love to give you some resources so that you can know a little bit more about the church and connect with you. We're really excited that you chose to spend part of your weekend with us. And um, in exchange for that this morning, we've got a gift for you as you leave this morning. There's going to be some folks at the back doors. They've got lanyards on, so you should be able to identify them. They've got a gift bag. If you filled out that code, then you were here this morning. Uh, We would love to give you some treats. Uh, There's some chocolate in there and some Uh, some coupons for free coffees and things like that. So anyway, um, pick one of those up on your way out the door, but let's all stand together. It's going to be an amazing day. Let me close this out. God, thanks so much for this chance once again to be together in your presence, to grow together closer to you, closer to one another. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to strengthen us as your church, that you would use us this week as we go to our homes, to our workplaces, to our community. Lord, help us to be a light and to share the love of Jesus with everyone that we come in touch with. God, we thank you so much for this service today, for this church pray that you'd go with us now as we go our separate ways. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Have a wonderful day. Be back here on Wednesday for groups and Casey Wolf. Go Chiefs.